Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode 22 of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. And it is coming down to the wire, which probably is not what we were expecting a month ago or even a few weeks ago. But this is a very tight American League playoff race for the final two wild card spots, not the final two, the only two. The divisions have all been determined. We know that it is Tampa Bay in the AL East, Chicago in the AL Central, and Houston in the AL West, but we do not know the identity of the two wildcard teams in the American League, and that is making for a very interesting finish to the 2021 American League season. Uh, Steve, it looked like the Red Sox were in position to solidify one of those two, if not completely nail down home field advantage in the wildcard game over the weekend. They had, as they say, one job, just don't get swept. So what happens? They got swept by the Yankees in ugly fashion, twice surrendering leads in the eighth inning, twice allowing four runs by the bullpen in the eighth inning. And the Yankees walk out of Fenway late Sunday with three straight wins and now have a one-game lead in the wild card chase. Um, and yet, all is not lost for the Red Sox because the schedule makers have made it quite easy for them down the stretch with three in Baltimore and three in Washington. If they don't grab one of these spots, it would seem to that they have only themselves to play. Oh, no question about that. I mean, when you're talking about who they're finishing up with now, uh, two last place teams, uh, the pressure is certainly on. There's no question about that, but uh, you know, you gotta be able to respond. Uh, it was an ugly, ugly weekend against uh, the, the team that you would, least likely to have uh, one of those weekends against that's not the team you want to stumble against I was just wondering if if Aaron Judge was uh did he break out his boom box again and play New York New York as he was walking out of the stadium uh you know that backfired on them a little bit last time he did that but you you could see it happening again uh you know it looked to me over the weekend that especially out of the bullpen and we know that that they're a little thin more than a little thin but they either didn't want to throw the ball over the plate because the walks were ridiculous. And then if they did, someone hit it out of the ballpark. And so, you know, so that's a bad combination. Yeah. And it is the last thing that you want to have as an issue going into the final week. And you hope the postseason is to have an uncertain bullpen picture. But that's exactly where the Red Sox sit. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, let's talk about. Uh, having reviewed briefly uh, what the Red Sox didn't do and should have done over the weekend, which is, as I said, had they won just one of those games, just one, then they would have left that weekend and begun the last six games of the season in the schedule with a one-game lead over the Yankees for the top wildcard spot. But importantly, because the Red Sox, even after the sweep, they have the season series against the Yankees, so that one-game cushion would have actually been two because had the Yankees come back and forged a tie after 162 games, 
uh, the Red Sox would have gotten home field advantage and would have been the number one wild card seed by virtue of the first tiebreaker in head to head, which is what happens during the season series. Even with the sweep, the Red Sox won that season series 10 to nine. So one game would have essentially clinched a wild card. I, I say clinched mathematically, that's not true. But essentially, the Red Sox could go, say, three and three over the final six games and still likely be the wild card. Uh, top seed by virtue of having one of those three games. They did not. They lost all three. And so it's a little tougher for them in the final week here because they have seeded the top position to the Yankees. But the schedule is far easier for the Red Sox going forward than it is the Yankees. The Red Sox have three games with the Orioles, the worst team arguably in baseball, certainly in the American League, a team they have beaten 12 of the last 13 times after dropping famously that first series of the year. And then you've got the Nationals, who are, you know, a team with a 400 winning percentage. That's not horrible. It's a last place team. But then you look a little closer, and they're actually about a 300 winning percentage since the deadline when they waved the white flag and auctioned off literally almost half of their major league roster. So, they could not have it any easier in front of them for the final six games. I, I think if they just merely win the last two series, that is take two out of three from Baltimore, two out of three from Washington, then they're probably going to be one of the two wildcard teams. Maybe not home field. Maybe that game has to be played in the Bronx uh, next Tuesday in the American League wildcard game, but at least a fighting chance to advance. So I say – Four and two should get it done. What What does your math tell you? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, given that they have the easiest schedule, the Toronto and the Yankees have to play each other. So unless someone sweeps there, uh, that would make it a little more difficult uh, for the Red Sox. But if the Yankees sweep, you know, that puts Toronto completely out of it. It gives Yank the Yankees the number one spot, most likely, uh, unless the Red Sox win six in a row. Um uh, so that, you know, kind of widens the gap between both teams, the Yankees sweep, they go even further ahead of the Red Sox, but it puts Toronto out of the, out of the game and makes you a little more comfortable in that second wildcard spot. And, you know, who cares? I mean, at, at this point, the Yankees came into your own backyard and swept you. So are you that scared of playing that wildcard game in New York? All things considered, this team had played so much better at home until that last weekend. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, you need to play that game. You should worry a lot less about where it's going to happen. But I would like to say, too, that Major League Baseball doesn't always get it right. But in this case, they did with the tiebreaker situation and, and you know, face-to-face -face during the regular season. To me, that makes sense. You know, who, you know as you said, it could have been essentially a two-game lead if they just win one game because they would have had the tiebreak. And, you know, and, and obviously they'd be sitting on top of the Yankees right now instead of a game behind. Yeah, the, 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 I, I think it's important, too, to point out we're, we're not completely uh, erasing Seattle from contention. Um, as we tape this, they are a game and a half back of the Red Sox, a half game behind Toronto. They've got Oakland and uh, the Angels to wrap up the season, but they do have to get a lot of help to get in. They've got to have Toronto and the Red Sox drop out. Uh, you know, the Yankees are probably too far ahead of them to worry about catching them. But when you're hoping for two teams in front of you to trip and fall so you can overtake them, that's probably not a good strategy. They've had a, 
a, a strong September and they've kept themselves in this. They are, it should be pointed out, um, they have the longest playoff drought of any team in major North American sports. It has not been since 2001 since the Mariners last got into the postseason. They're trying to snap that 20-year drought by uh, a strong week, but they really have to win out, and even then, they need some help. So for the purpose of this discussion, we're going to mostly focus uh, on the teams in the East. Um, and as we've noted, the Red Sox schedule is far easier. The good thing for the Red Sox is is that over the three games here in the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you know that either the Blue Jays or Yankees have to lose every night. They can't run the table because they're playing one another. So one of those teams is likely going to have at least two more losses, if not three, by the time that series ends. Meanwhile, the Red Sox get to stomp on the Orioles a little bit. And that's a good thing, not only because the Orioles aren't good and because the Orioles uh, have been, you know, fodder for the Red Sox since that first series, but also um, when we look at how the Red Sox got here, that is uh, not having wrapped anything up with the final week to go, they have not played well against quality teams. In fact, since the trade deadline, which is July 30th, the Red Sox are 8-21 and 21 against teams with winning records. If they don't get this done in the next week, Steve, they can't complain that they had a tough schedule. Uh, to the contrary, as you noted, it's been made fairly easy for them. You really couldn't pick two easier opponents. In a perfect world, those games would be at Fenway. They're a better team at home. They performed offensively better at home. But you couldn't have easier opponents down the stretch. Yeah, you know, down through time, Red Sox fans have been, you know, pessimistic uh, to say the least. Um, an eight and twenty-one record against good teams gives you good reason to think, ah, you know, if they make the playoffs, they're not going anywhere anyway because you don't get to play uh, Baltimore anymore. You don't get to play Washington anymore. You're going to start playing against teams that actually won games, and that glaring number that you threw out there, eight and twenty-one since the break against teams that are any good. Um, obviously health of the bullpen is the, is a major concern. Um, I wanted to throw one thing out there. I mean, I've had friends all season long that I think have written off the Yankees probably three different times, right? They're done. You know, they lose a few games in a row. They're done. They can never make a comeback. Pretty impressive what they've been able to do uh, to get into that first wild card spot as we speak. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> none of the Red Sox fans like to see that, but you, you got to tip your cap to what they've been able to do with the kind of a, the disarray that they've gone through this entire season. But, uh, you know, back to the Red Sox, um, you know, they should get into the playoffs. And if they don't, uh, you know, I would say that it would almost go down as one of the colossal collapses in their franchise history. Maybe not the biggest one, but certainly one of the biggest. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute and try to put that into historical context should the Red Sox falter here over the final six games. But first, we're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today 
to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use the promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite, favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the games start. Um, we're we're going to get to trying to put that in context in a minute, but um, I, I thought we'd focus before we got there on what it is that concerns you most, not just for these final six games, but in the uh, eventuality that the, the Red Sox get in and play the wild card game and who knows, maybe go on to the division series. What, what concerns you most with what you're seeing now on the field, Steve, in terms of what, what seems to be the, the, the big weakness that has to be addressed and has to be fixed? Well, I, I, I think it's basically been the same weakness they've had most of the season. There's been flashes of, some uh, consistent play out of the bullpen, but, and, you know, but it's the bullpen. There's no question. The, the inexperience of the bullpen, the injuries that they've had out there. And, you know, people don't care about your problems. People don't want to hear, well, you know, our, our half our bullpen was on the IL. And that is a fact, you know, a lot of guys have been on the IL this year, but it it doesn't matter. They're currently without both Josh Taylor and Garrett Whitlock. So an important lefty for high leverage situations and a guy who's given them multiple innings at times, the the rookie Garrett Whitlock, both unavailable. They may be available for that final game or two in Washington, but for the most part, uh, not going to be part of this final week. Yeah. And those, as you said, those are two, pretty key cogs when you when Alex Cora looks down there and says I might need a little help who do I go to he doesn't have those two guys anymore so now you're looking at inexperience and you know guys that haven't proven they can get the job done and we just we saw that this weekend with the uh, the amount of walks that were given up uh in the bullpen you've got to come in and throw the ball over the plate and then you know as I said, when they did, it seemed like someone decided they wanted to hit it over the left field wall. So uh, that that just is not going to help. And it's it's not going to get better anytime soon. It's a good thing. Maybe they can um, work some things out down there and get themselves some confidence playing against bad teams. But, you know, the slider you get away with uh, against a guy who probably should have hit it, and then you try to throw that same slider against a guy who will hit it, is going to come back and bite you pretty quickly when you're playing against better competition. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point about, you know, facing a far less fearsome lineup. I mean, look, there, there are some pretty good hitters in both these Washington and Baltimore lineups. You got Ryan Mountcastle and, and Cedric Mullins with the Orioles. You have arguably the best hitter in the game in Juan Soto coming up with Washington on the weekend. But there are a lot of holes in both of those lineups. And and maybe you're right that, that a couple of these guys can get it straightened out. But it's hard right now to look at the bullpen as it's currently constituted and feel good about any single pitcher coming into a big spot. Adovino has not pitched well for the last month or so. He got hammered on Sunday, uh, giving up the, the double to Aaron Judge and then another monster shot to Giancarlo Stanton. Um Tanner Houck had control issues with four walks on Saturday. Uh, Matt Barnes is a complete mess, looks lost. 
They clearly don't trust him in high leverage spots. Whitlock and Taylor unavailable. I mean, we're to the point now, Steve, where the most consistent reliever they have might be Hansel Robles, who has an 11-game scoreless streak. Um, and, you know, when Hansel Robles is your rock out there, that kind of tells you everything you need to know about how things are going. Yeah, I love it when a guy, kind of an unknown, comes in and pitches well. But that's exactly what he was. It was like when when he made it to the major league roster – who wasn't scrambling for their media guy to figure out who the guy even was. Nobody knew who this guy was. And so you don't expect that to last, you know, you got to be happy for the kid and he's going out there and getting the job done when they're letting him do it. But, you know, you know, things start to pucker up a little bit when they hand you the ball and it, and the games really mean something. Yeah. And and he's getting a lot of work, you know, kind of in the middle innings, maybe the, the fifth, sixth and seventh, it's a far cry, uh, being asked to do that and get those kind of outs and to pitch in a one-run game in the eighth or ninth. Not that the, we would expect him to get the ball in those spots, but you, you don't know because uh, you're not sure about what usage is going to be like over the next few days and how many guys are going to be available. All right, let, let's, um, let's travel back to a time prior to 2004 when uh, you expected the worst from this franchise where you always thought that something would go wrong because it had always been that way, or at least in your lifetime. Uh, if the Red Sox do not qualify for the postseason, if they do not beat up on these two bad teams in the final series and somehow find themselves on the outside looking in by Sunday night, where do we rank this collapse historically? Is it, up there with 78 is it as bad as 2011 we, we can all uh go back to a number of times where the red sox kind of spit the bit down the stretch how bad would this be in a worst case scenario if they fail to make the playoffs well i think it's going to be right up there i mean chicken and beer in 2011 was you know there was some dysfunction going on there obviously there was some uh, inner strife happening and you don't see that on this team really I mean this is a team that generally gets along um, I think Alex Cora does an amazing job of of making sure that they get along I think they all respect him and you know play hard for him so what's worse is it worse when you, you know you and I I don't know how out on a limb you were on this but hey earlier in the season I was saying this is a hundred win team with the way they got off to the start that they had and the record they had at a certain point in time, you're like, how do they not win a hundred games with what they've, where they are now? Well, that was, that was the pace they were on in the first half. I mean, that, that wasn't fanciful thinking on your part or, or anyone else's part. Uh, When you look at where they were, say, uh, you know, in early July or right at the all-star break, they were on pace to win a hundred games. That, that wasn't, that didn't require a whole lot of leap of faith on anyone's part. Yeah. So, so is it worse if you're a a hundred win team supposedly, and then don't even make the playoffs and nothing's really wrong except for a few injuries, or is it worse that you're a really good team and then something happens and then things go South in the clubhouse and you lose a seven game lead in the wild card uh, down the stretch. Then I, you know, I, I think it's worse if you think you're a good team and don't make it. Uh, you know, the, the 2011 team had a bunch of reasons why 
uh, things went south for them. And there's not much you can point to in this season except for the injuries in the bullpen. And the injuries in the bullpen happen to everybody. It's been much more inconsistency in the bullpen rather than uh, the injuries that we've seen as of late. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's been more about, uh, you know, underperformance than it is unavailability. You know, certainly they'd be better off now if they had the use of both Whitlock and Taylor, two guys who have been very good much of the year. Taylor had that stretch in the first half where he went two and a half months without giving up a run. He was a lefty that they they – they could trust not only to get lefty hitters out, but righties as well. Uh, Whitlock was is one of the best stories of this season. Still is, regardless of what happens here in the final week. When you think of a Rule 5 kid who had never before pitched above double-A, oh, and P.S., coming off Tommy John surgery two years ago, uh, a, a, you know, a complete unknown to fashion a season in which he is uh, – compiled an ERA that is under two, if barely. I think last I checked, he's at 199. But that's a remarkable achievement for a rookie pitcher and, and to pitch meaningful innings. So having those two not available for the next five or six games is hard. But uh, as you point out, it, it's hardly, you know, the kind of crushing injuries that other teams have suffered. And injuries are part of the game. I, I think it's far more telling that Matt Barnes has not been of much use for much of the second half, that Ottavino has seen his ERA go over four with a poor September. Uh, one after another, uh, these guys have not done the job, and you only have to look to that Yankee series over the weekend where, as I noted at the outset, twice, back-to-back days, they gave up four runs in the eighth inning in games they were leading both times and lost both. Uh, you, no matter what happens uh, in the final two series, I, I think we'll, you know, if, if they come up short here, we're going to look back to that turn of events over the weekend against the Yankees because even one game, uh, one win in that series would have changed things. Um, yeah, and that's that, That's the series that is the heartbreaker, too, because, yeah, you can point back and say, here was the turning point. You never want it to be against the Yankee team where they come into town and sweep you. And all those guys that you pointed to in the bullpen, the one that's most troubling for me is Barnes. Because, you know, I mean, I went on record a couple weeks ago on this show saying that I thought that he would straighten himself out. I thought that they would give him the ball in the higher leverage situations and he would do the job. And by this time during the season, going into the last week and into the playoffs, he would have reestablished himself as the closer and a guy that you can count on. I mean, his stuff is too good. You know, it, you know, it, it is curveball that he spikes in the ground that he continues to get people to swing at is too good. You know, his fastball, you know, upper 90s, you know, his stuff is way too good for him to be going through a prolonged period of ineffectiveness. You know, everybody goes through uh, a bad period, but this has just been too long for a guy like him. Yeah, I, I agree. And, it, and I think a lot of it starts with maybe not having that same aggressiveness that he showed in the first half where he really attacked the strike zone, trusted his fastball more than in recent seasons, got ahead consistently, and wasn't having those real protracted at-bats where it's nine, ten pitches, somebody's falling off uh, pitch after pitch, 
he went right after hitters in the first half, and it seemed like that hasn't been part of his approach in the second half. All right, let, let's let's settle one more question before we wrap up, Steve. With a week to go and realizing that you know some things could happen in the final few days to impact the voting here, but I'm asking you a little ahead of time, who through the first 156 games is the MVP of the 2021 Red Sox? I got to go with Raphael Devers. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you know, and, and forget the numbers, um, but which are outstanding, but he's just so much fun to watch. You know, he's the expressions on his face. Um, the, the fact that he uh, does not have a superstar attitude. He gets along with everybody on the team. He's always smiling. Um, to me, that means a lot. So, I mean, you can have a superstar, you can have an MVP type player on your team that nobody likes and he doesn't, you know, project anything to the team as far as enthusiasm. You know, he goes out and he hits some home runs and he drives in runs, but he's not that good a guy. You know, none of that is true about Devers. So, you know, just outside of what he did this year, numbers wise, he's the guy for me. I gave a lot of thought to choosing Devers, but. I think his drop-off in the second half has been alarming. He's got an OPS well under 800 since the All-Star break. Hasn't performed with runners in scoring position uh, as much as you would like to see in the last couple of months. Yes, he has the high RBI total. He's got more than 100 RBI. But I also saw this past week he has had more at-bats with runners in scoring position than any other hitter in the American League. So some of that uh, is beyond his control. He's had the opportunities, and yeah, he's knocked in a lot of runs, but part of that is because he's had so many chances. I'm going to go with a somewhat unorthodox choice, and that's Nate Evaldi. Uh, his last start Friday against the Yankees notwithstanding, it certainly would have uh, uh, improved his case had he pitched better and won that game. But when I look at the uncertainty about the Red Sox rotation at the beginning of the year, you didn't know what you were going to get with Eduardo Rodriguez having missed all of last season. Pavetta had not done it for a number of years, was still unproven. Nobody knew that they were going to uh, get that kind of performance out of so many guys. You knew that Chris Sale wasn't coming back until well after the second half. The one guy that you needed to count on and ultimately – were able to count on was Nate Evaldi. He took the ball every five days, stayed healthy, didn't miss a start. And until the other night, had an ERA uh, about three and a half. If you look at war among American League starting pitchers, he's in the top three or four for the year. So uh, as impressive as Bogarts and Devers has, have been uh, in the field as everyday players, I'm going to go with Nathan Evaldi as the rock of that rotation when so much of it was unsettled around him. Uh, not that these votes are going to uh, carry the day or determine, uh, you know, who ultimately is the American League MVP, but kind of fun to just uh, bat back and forth. That has been episode 22 of... This is our effing podcast, a Red Sox show with your co-host Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. And a reminder that that has been brought to you, as it always is, by Bet Online, presented by Bet Online. We told you about them and all the cool things you can do now that football season is here with the odds and prop bets and everything else. Check it out on Bet Online. Steve, when we next talk, 
uh, we could be previewing uh, the American League wildcard game, or we could be doing the postmortem of the 2021 Red Sox. That'll unfold in the next week, but it'll be fun either way to talk about it. And we'll talk to you next week. I'm banking on a wild card game. <laughs> we shall see. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.